Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to this week's edition of the We Are Podcast. He's Corey Geiger. I'm Jared Brugger. We are your hosts, as always. Corey, this year marks 10 years since the Jerry Sandusky scandal rocked State College, rocked University Park, and rocked the college athletics. Well, colleges all over the country, high schools, anything with sports, the Sandusky scandal rocked. This isn't about Sandusky, but ESPN um, produced a, a lengthy and informative, inquisitive article um, about a former Penn State football player who was what they deemed the most dangerous man in college football um, in the 1970s and, and late or late 1970s and early 1980s. That's what we're going to start out by talking about today because Corey, I don't agree with what has been done. Okay, this is by far uh, the most serious of these podcasts that we have done. I was asked by probably no fewer than 20 people over the last week, hey, Geiger, what do you think about that story on ESPN? I did not write anything about it, Jared. We're, we're going to discuss this at length, folks, because there, there are a lot of – this is not in any way – a simple topic to discuss. There's some right, there's some wrong, there's some good, there's some bad in what we're going to just discuss. But by and large, Penn State is not the greatest place in the history of the world. But at the same time, Penn State is not just evil and that we're going to look at the most negative thing ever with Sandusky and attach an evil label to Penn State, which some people want to do. There are discussions that can be had in a lot of ways. And we're going to, you know, this is going to take some time. We're going to go through a lot of layers of this. Jared and I discussed this. We don't know exactly how long we're going to spend on this, but I I will start off by saying this, Jared, and then we can kind of jump into the discussion. Todd Hodney was a piece of shit human being. Okay. That is not debatable. If you read, the incredibly lengthy story that ESPN, uh, Tom Junod and Paula Levine wrote. I mean, this is tens of thousands of words. This was almost a small book. Tremendously well done journalism. 
tremendously well-written story with regards to piecing together facts, events, sourcing your material. Folks, journalists don't hate Penn State. Some Penn State fans are not going to agree with that, Jared. ESPN, I don't think, hates Penn State. And some people are going to disagree with that. No, in fact, I think Penn, I think ESPN loves Penn State because of the fan base and because of the ratings that they yeah. bring to their family of networks. Okay, and that's why this story, we're recording this Friday night, everybody, so you're not going to hear this until Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, or whatever. On the 18th, on Tuesday, ESPN, or I'm sorry, on Monday, ESPN is debuting its documentary on Joe Paterno with the legacy. Some media outlets have already seen this documentary. It apparently has been available. I did not reach out to ESPN for an early copy of it. Sports Illustrated did. Blue White Illustrated did. You can go to those sites if you want to read the review of the documentary or watch the documentary yourself. My issue with this is, 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 is Jared, this guy, Todd Hodney, whom I'd never heard of before at all, is a, was a, he died, he's dead, was a horrible human being. Right, his actions were deplorable. What he, he did, did and what, right. how he treated people, um, both men and women, was absolutely awful. He did so, terrible things. That is not debatable. Jared and I are not going to dispute that in any way. And the story ESPN wrote was, I mean, you just, wow. What a horrible, horrible person. And you feel for all of these victims. Uh, and and these brave women and folks who came forward and told their stories all these years later. But the problem I have is I think that ESPN exploited this story leading up to the documentary on Joe Paterno that's going to air next week. Mm -hmm. That's the crux of my issue that we're going to, part of which we're going to discuss throughout the podcast. Yeah, I, I agree. I read the article. It's a pretty lengthy article, and the journalistic um, values behind it, I think, are, are great. I just don't think that ESPN is using this in the right way. I mean, this year, is, like I said before, it's the 10th anniversary of, of the scandal that rocked athletics across the nation. That's, that's from peewee on up to professional athletes. And, and what happened there, again, is deplorable and awful and with all due respect uh, to the victims and to everybody that we're not here to debate that, but the way that this is being used, I just don't think is fair because number one, the, the main people um, outside of the victims and, and, and thoughts and prayers to them and what they've had to deal with, but there's nobody here to, that can defend themselves and nobody that, that can really, you know, validate everything that ESPN is trying to display because they, because to me, this isn't, this while it's an isolated incident those types of things were happening at college campuses around the country back in the late 70s early 80s um and and, and good bad and different i mean that's that's the way the world was back then it's not okay by now, any maybe means. not to this degree though maybe right, not to right, this degree right but but, but the, we, we, we do want to separate sure there there have been college rapes and things like that again this guy was a grotesque piece of shit okay right. And we cannot, in, in trying to discuss what ESPN wrote here, I will not dispute 
nor do I think it even can be disputed, the facts that they uncovered in telling a very important story. This is an important story, but it's, it's, it's really a story that you would expect to read in Vanity Fair mm-hmm. or The New Yorker or The Atlantic or some, you know, some website or magazine that, that really specializes in long form like this. The headline of this story is before Jerry Sandusky, Penn State football had another serial sexual predator. This is the untold story of his crimes and the fight to bring him to justice. And the, un- and the story is important. But the picture that's on the front page of ESPN that's been there for four days now, and ESPN's front page doesn't generally keep a story on it for four days. So what does that tell you about the staying power of this story, again, leading into the documentary? And the picture has not only a picture of human piece of garbage, Todd Hodney, it has a picture of Joe Paterno next to it. Why do they have a picture of Joe Paterno when, yes, parts of this story are about Joe Paterno, but it it is just an overreach to a very large degree to me to make this a sports story that that is insinuating Mm -hmm. and feeding feeding the crowd of people around this country, and the crowd is very, very large, and probably rightfully so. We'll get into that, of people who think that, Penn State's just this awful place and terrible things happen. Well, terrible things did happen. But to try to tie this in and insinuate that this aspect that involved Joe Paterno in a much smaller way has anything to do with Sandusky, it's it's just a stretch by ESPN. Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree. Um, I wasn't, you know, as I read it, and they tried to tie it back to what happened with Sandusky and the way that Paterno handled everything. I just didn't agree with it because to me, you know, looking at this, you know, let's be real here about Todd Hodney. He had a checkered pass when he got to Penn state and then he gets to Penn state and he gets suspended from the team after appearing in seven games, uh, suspended for breaking and entering a record store, according to the article. Um, so he was suspended from the Penn state football program. Now he was still at school on scholarship when some of the, uh, some of the things happened. Um, and you know, you say what you want about, about that situation, you know, there, again, if you, if you have the opportunity to read the article, I think you should read it. Um, I think it is again, a good piece of journalism, but the way that ESPN, I think is promoting it and and marketing it. I just don't think it's okay because if you read that, if you read that headline, that's not at all necessarily what you're going to read in the story itself. There are, I, I pulled out a bunch of different passages that I wanted to get to, um, and I probably will not get to all of these, but this person was kicked off the football team, and really the most shocking thing to me in this entire ordeal happened by a judge in Belfont. Oh, yes, absolutely. This- Todd Hodney was convicted of a felony after raping a woman and the, and they let him go home instead of they let him go put, out on bail they let him go out on bail $25,000 bail I believe was the number they let him go home to await sentencing after being convicted in Belfont of I don't have the exact charges here but if it was rape in the first second or third degree but they let him go home 
then when he went home, he assaulted numerous other women. They, they had this, pre so if you're gonna write, th this story is about how a lot of people failed in this situation. And again, to, to have Joe Paterno's pic, why isn't the picture of the judge on, on, with Todd Hodney's picture? Well, because no one would know who that was, Jared. You got to have their ESPN's got a picture of Joe Paterno so that people will click on the story. The judge in Belfont let the guy walk on bail, and then he goes out and assaults numerous other women. He gets out on parole after serving seven years. Then after that, he goes out and and leads a, 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 a troubled life again. Goes back in, dies a couple of years. So again, this is an important story, and I. I do not, the last thing that I want to sound like is some idiot sports reporter who covers Penn State trying to diminish the role that Joe Paterno or Penn State ever played. Anybody who knows me, and I don't talk about this stuff with anybody. I've had death threats, Jared, because I was critical of Joe Paterno with the way he handled Sandusky. Death threats to me personally. Okay, because I was critical of Joe Paterno, who I absolutely should have be should believe should have done more with Sandusky. I, I as much as any media member in Central Pennsylvania, I have been as critical of Joe and the way he handled it. So I am not just going to sit here and try to look past and look over and defend what he might have done in this Todd Hodney situation, because I try to view every situation. In, in 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 their on in their own merits and so i just i just don't see the connection I, I don't see a strong a strong enough connection for espn i cannot stress this enough to be exploiting this day after day after day on the front page of their website simply because they have a documentary coming up and and they want to make sure people are aware of what's going on 10 years later with Joe that I just think they're separate incidents and I'm not in any way trying to defend Joe again I'll just I'll just say that this was an overreach by what ESPN did yeah and that's the thing I, I mean we talk about the overreach quite a bit at, and at length and listen you got to do what you got to do I guess to promote this this documentary that I really I honestly had no idea what was happening until you know I saw it just before um this article came out. They, I think they produced the trailer um, or maybe a day or two before. So, I mean, the timing of it is just off to me. I, I don't, I don't agree with it. Like I've said. Um, but I mean, there's even a point in the article that mentions that Joe Paterno told players who had to testify that were subpoenaed that if they voted or that they talked or uh, went with Hodney and not, you know, went with trying to defend him, that they would be, there'd be discipline and there, and, you know, in a roundabout way, there was according to the article with a player that, you know, that was kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place. And then things just didn't end up panning out for him, whether that was because of the way that he testified or not, but there are separate incidents. I mean, this is a lot of what he, what he had done was not as a member of the football team per se. Um, he was a bad guy. Yeah, he was. And, and that's, you know, there are bad people in this. There world. are bad people in the world. And you don't but it's necessarily not always have, it's right. not always somebody else's fault because of that. Now, this is this is part of the layered discussion. OK, um, and this is going to offend some Penn State fans. 
and especially the paternal loyalist. But what I'm about to say, I think is a very important part. And I do think that it, it does play a part, a little part, again, not enough for ESPN to, ESPN to be exploiting this the way they are. But I do think there is a little uh, part of this. Joe Paterno just handled everything within the Penn State football for decades. If something happened, if a player got in trouble, he handled it. If, if something happened regarding a player in the community, he handled it. He was in charge. He was the guy. He did this forever. This is what he did. He handled it. Players were in the doghouse. The media didn't even ask what players really even did so much to get in the doghouse because the doghouse, quote unquote, the doghouse, just became the phrase that everybody used mm-hmm. that Joe was upset about. And that could be Joe academics. Yeah, that could be academics. Is, that could be criminal. That right. could be anything. Criminal, anything. And this is the part that's going to upset some Penn State fans. Okay. Because I've long believed this. When you run an operation, and your first instinct and every instinct in you is to just handle it yourself. That's what I believe failed Joe in the whole Sandusky thing. I think Joe just tried to handle it. Okay. And I am not going to rehash 10 years ago. I don't do that with anybody. I don't talk politics or religion or Joe Paterno really with anybody because all you're going to do is piss people off. People listening to this podcast, you're probably a Penn State fan. If you're a big Penn State fan, you, you, you may still believe in Joe Paterno and believe he didn't do anything wrong. Well, the other 99% of the country does believe Joe Paterno did some things wrong. And so I would know, nothing we say is going to change your mind or anybody's mind. That's why I don't talk about this with people. But I do believe, getting back to my point, when you just handle everything in your program, and Joe tried to handle the Todd Hodney thing initially. He called the woman in the story. Her name is Karen. He tried to handle it. And then um, what happens is you, you just try to take care of everything. And that's what Joe did. So in the whole Sandusky thing, he was not equipped to handle, to take care of that. Nobody, 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 was, nobody yeah. was. Nobody was. But, but he had been doing it for 30, 40 years. And so he figured he could. He would, that's just his, that was his MO as the Penn State football. He just tried to handle it. And that was, that was the great failing and the great undoing of Joe Paterno, in my opinion, is that he tried to handle it instead of not, look, did he tell Graham Spade or did he tell his bosses? Yes. And was that enough for some Penn State fans? Yes. It's never been enough for me because he should have checked again and 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 checked a billion times. But when Jerry Sandusky is still walking around on your campus years and years later, and Joe knows this, that to me was Joe's failing with that. So again, I'm not getting into, I'm not rehashing all of that. What I'm saying is, I think initially at least, the one connection to this Todd Hodney piece is that it does appear that maybe Joe tried, tried to handle it. And some people did not think that. Okay. So the, the one woman, she says she got a call from Joe Paterno and I'm trying to find it. She says, okay, uh, this is Karen quote. This is from the story, but the call went differently than she expected to Karen. 
Paterno's call was, quote, kind of an admission that his football player did it, and he was expecting me to move forward, end quote. Karen wanted to move forward, but didn't want to forget. She was, in fact, hoping to prosecute. Then, quote, talking about Joe, he was trying to ascertain if I was going to go to the, the woman here, woman's hearing and if the police had discovered anything concrete. My recollection is that he came out and asked me if I was going to testify, if I was planning to go to court, end quote. When Paterno called, she had hoped that he was calling out of concern for her. Instead, Karen felt he was calling out of concern for his program. Quote, he was kind of scaring me, I think, a little bit, she says. That paragraph is the link that this ESPN story is trying to tie from Todd Hodney to the terrible thing, in my opinion, to the Sandusky thing. That paragraph, this line specifically, when Paterno called, she had hoped that he was calling out of concern for her. Instead, Karen felt he was calling out of concern for his program. That, that sentence sounds extremely damning coming from someone making who, who, whose perception was that Joe's concern was not about a victim, but was about his football program. That's one paragraph in a 30, 40,000 word story. So did Joe, was Joe wrong in the way he handled that phone call? I don't know. He's not here. This woman, Karen, from the story, that was her perception of it. Right. And that's the thing. I mean, obviously, people have expectations and what they want people to, how they want people to react and this, that, and the other thing. And obviously, when you have expectations like that and they and people don't meet them obviously that's disheartening and that's a shame and and you know again a lot of it we, we can't it's not like we can call up joe and say hey could this have happened and again this happened in the late 70s so uh, again a lot of information i'm not discounting anything here a lot of information can be misconstrued and even in the article they talked about the uh, the police officer uh that prosecuted him um and, and had conversations with Paterno doesn't fully recollect everything that was talked about. Um, so, you know, it, it's tough when, when you have that situation. And, and again, I think that, that because of the Sandusky thing, the scan, Sandusky scandal and what happened with that ESPN chose this to exploit Penn state and exploit their, you know, their running of this, of this documentary, because let's be real. Hodney died in 2020, I believe. Um, if not at 2021, I, I believe, according to the article. So when that happens, you know, nobody here can, can really talk about what's going on or what happened. They can't go to the source. Um, there was, it seemed like there was zero remorse from what was, what was stated by Hodney. And, and again, this is a player that was really, you know, coming into Penn state, he was supposed to be a, a hot commodity and then on, ended up not. And, and there are many, many people at, at Penn state that followed them for 50, 60 years that had no idea that this guy existed until this happened. And ESPN built him as one of the why, most dangerous players of all time. And 95% yeah. of what happened wasn't on when he was a football player. And, and I, these are my closing thoughts here because I, Jared and I have talked about this for a couple of days. We were going to discuss it. I, I, I wanted to try to cover as many bases with this as I could. 
This was extraordinary journalism, folks. You can be mad at ESPN for feeling like they're exploiting this. And a lot of Penn State fans are still livid at ESPN for, they, for feeling like they exploited this 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. Me personally, I think a lot of Penn State fans might still be furious at me because I was critical of Joe 10 years ago. People don't let this stuff go. This was extraordinary journalism. This was, in terms of investigative journalism, these two authors, man, Jared, I've done this for 30 years. There was more information in this story than probably any story I've ever read. Mm-hmm. They, they have so, so, so many thousands of mm-hmm. details and facts in this story. But I think it misses the boat when they're tying it in as a Sandusky Paterno football and sports story. As another colleague texted me today, this was an incredible true crime story mm-hmm. that of finding out what happened, the unbelievable aspect that they let him out on bail after he was convicted and, and sent this sexual mm-hmm. predator out into the world. But as I mentioned, the judge's picture is not on the story. Joe yeah, Paterno. And, and it- and that no, judge plays such is. a minor part of the story. And that was yeah. the biggest part of the yeah. thing. How no do you question. let a guy like that out? And, yeah. and people, and, and according to the article, it, it's never really ever been done before. But this to me so, was a. Look, my, my, I just went, my last thought, and then I'll let you finish. I, I, I apologize. I'm not trying to defend Joe Paterno in any way for what happened, nor am I trying to crucify Joe Paterno in, in any way for what happened. This story, I believe, could have run at any time on, on any website and been fascinating and mm-hmm. comforting for these victims and shine a new light on a lot of things that we never knew. But I think ESPN blew it here by releasing this story a few days before a documentary. And I think that it's, very, it's a very, very, very shady practice what ESPN did here, Jerry. Yeah. Um, at the end of the day, I think the, the blame, this just happened to be a deplorable human being that was a football player at Penn State at one point in time and a student at Penn State at one point in time. I mean, you can't, you can't expect everybody to be a guy that's all sunshine and rainbows and, and a positive person, a good role model. There are bad people in the world. Um, that's not Joe Paterno's fault. That's not anybody's fault. That's, you know, there are bad people, just like there are good people and there are okay people. Um, and as unfortunate as it is, you know, this guy, because of a judge's decision, not Joe Paterno's decision, because, again, he wasn't on the football team. Um, he was suspended um, after his initial crime of breaking and entering uh, into a music store. Uh, again, the judge let him free, and he was able to 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 be a predator um, in the worst way imaginable. And it's a shame that, that the people that had to live through that, that the survivors had to deal with that. And that's a shame. Again, this is a deplorable human being, but in my opinion, this is a, this is a deplorable human being who happened to be a football player at one point in time for Penn state, for Joe Paterno and all of the above. But let's start talking about something better. And when we come back here in the second segment, we will 
brighten it up here on the We Are Podcast and the DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcasting Network. Welcome back to the second segment of the We Are Podcast, DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcasting Network. He's Geiger. I'm Jared. Listen, let's brighten it up a little bit. The spring game is getting ever so close. We are just a week, a little under a week away, Corey. Finally, football. Let's go. You know what I want to see, man? I want to see Drew Aller come out on Saturday and complete 22 out of 24 passes for about 210, uh, three touchdowns. Now, look, they're not going to open up the offense, but I want to see him come out, throw some quick reads, first reads. They're not going to go through progressions in the spring game. Throw some – just look good. See the arm. Give him a couple shots to go deep. There will not be a quarterback competition. There will not. Sean Clifford is the quarterback. Oh man! But I, I want to, I want to lie. I'd like to see a little bit of fire lit. You know, I'd like to see Drew Aller come out, Jared, in the spring game. Uh, remember, Trace McSorley looked phenomenal in the spring game one time. I think Hackenberg might have looked. The spring game doesn't determine anything about what your career is going to do. I mean, Anthony Morelli used to look phenomenal in him. But man, I really want to see Aller go like twenty-two for twenty-four, and then spend the next four or five months with fans debating if he should get a shot oh that would be so fitting wouldn't it Corey? that wouldn't that be the greatest thing ever because we have this debate as always and let's be real we've talked about this at length multiple multiple times since the season ended and listen there's no competition as much as we want there to be as much as people want there to be it's sean clifford's job he's done nothing really to not earn it um and now if they come in and outperform him in camp and in practice that's great awesome Congratulations to those guys. But again, I don't foresee that happening right now. You got a tough schedule to start the season, but man, that would be something, wouldn't it? You come in, dominate against really the other, the other team, which isn't all that's cracked up to be because you're not playing. He's probably not going to go against the ones um, or the twos really. Um, but yeah, come in, sh- show some life and, and see, see some of that energy that people, uh, people want to see every game. Yeah, and I'm curious – I've been curious all along how much we're going to see Clifford. We, we may not see him much. We may not need to see him much. I, I've said all along, you know, Clifford's still got a lot to prove, and this is a practice. This, you get 15 practices in the spring. This is a practice. Sean Clifford, I think, needs to play. Uh, but at the same time, you've got Christian Bayou, you've got Drew Aller, you've got Bo Prabula. Mm-hmm. Um, and and they're, I think all of them will probably get opportunities <clears throat> Excuse me, as well. But I am curious to see, does, does Sean Clifford get a quarter? Does he get a half? Does he, does he, does he do much at all? You know, I, we have, I think we're yet, we've yet to find out exactly what the format's going to be. I guess they're short on offensive linemen, so might they be doing some different things as opposed to, quote, unquote, a, a, a typical kind of game format. But uh, I, I, I think Sean Clifford needs to play a good bit in the blue. Again, is he is he out there to to show what they're going to do against Purdue in the opener? No, but this is a practice practice, and this is a quarterback that I think still needs practice. 
Yeah, I mean, obviously he gets reps at at spring practice, uh, but this is his, like, 17th trip around the block, right? So is there value? Would you rather him sit? Um, I mean, it's not like he hasn't done this before, right? He's had an injury history. Has he? I I mean, mean, (laughs) let's see. I mean, here's what he has done before. He's been mediocre before. So Now, is is playing in a spring game actually going to help that? Uh, I mean, because – this is this is still April football. He's got what to find, matters he's got is to, August and September. He's got you still to have a summer with, of workouts. You still have August. He's got to connect with Mitchell Tinsley. He's got to connect with with Parker Washington as the number one receiver, not the number two receiver. You're right. I, I would not be at all surprised if Clifford doesn't play at all. I just think it'd be a mistake. I, I, I I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna go to war with that with that thought, Jared that I just don't think he's a great quarterback and to just have him sit a practice, any practice, I just think is a bad idea. Yeah. I mean, I, I, what can you do here? I mean, there's, there, there are a couple options here. He gets a couple reps with the first team guys, um, but you want to keep him healthy. I mean, they're not going to jeopardize the status of him moving forward. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's going to get those reps in practice. Um is there value in doing that in the spring game? Probably a little bit. I mean, every game like rep helps, but there's still so much football to be played both this month and, you know, when it matters over the summer and and into August and September when the season starts, but is there value in him playing? Yeah. I think he probably should get a series or two, but again, if you're only getting one or two reps or six reps at, in this way or, or whatever, however, that, that, that situation plays out, is that really going to help a lot in the long run? Maybe, maybe not. But again, this is a guy who's going through like his 16th spring game. Um, and I, I say that in jest, but you know, there's experience there. You want to see the young guys and let's be real, man. Franklin's a coach. He understands the media about as well as anybody he knows exactly the talk that they're going to have if Aller comes out and performs or Christian Veyu performs really well. Um, and I think that's also a factor too. come out, let these guys toss the ball around and see what happens and, and get the most that you can get out of it. Um, yeah. Cause reps for those guys matter infinitely more than Clifford at this point in time. Okay. So let me, you're right. I just don't know that I agree with you why they matter. Uh, I think they matter so that the kids stay in the program. I I think you might be inferring that they'll matter to help get them ready for a game. And while that is true, uh, I think the most important thing with Drew Aller and Christian Bayou is to keep him at Penn State. Oh, without a doubt. And so what I'm talking about here is in the transfer portal, portal era, coinciding with the NIL money era, you have to suck up to these kids. As oh, coach. yeah. You yeah, and, and Saban you, hit the nail on the head this week with his quote. Um, I thought that was absolutely phenomenal. I know we talked about that when, when Dabo mentioned it um, a couple of weeks ago. But, I mean, Saban is the defender of the dark arts, right? And, and when Saban has an issue with the way things are done, people listen. Um, and, and really, NIL is out of control. Um, and, and to me, I think he's absolutely right. And Here's what he said. Let me, let me read it here to interrupt you. The concept of name, image, and likeness 
was for players to be able to use their name, image, and likeness to create opportunities for themselves. That's what it was, Saban said. But that creates a situation where you can basically buy players. Mm-hmm. You can do it in recruiting. I mean, if that's what we want college football to be, I don't know. And you can also get players and to get in the transfer portal to see if they can get more someplace else than they can get at your place. That's all true. That's all true. That's the downside of all this. And that's what I was talking about, again, to say that maybe Christian, maybe Sean Clifford doesn't play if at all or much at all in the, in the spring game, because again, James Franklin has to keep Drew Aller happy. Drew Aller is the franchise. Drew Aller starting in 2023 is the guy that you think is going to James Franklin's got his 10 year contract. James Franklin is fine if they go seven and five this year, but starting in 2023, you got to have Drew, you, Mm -hmm. you, you can't risk. So you got to suck up to these kids and you do that by any time you have any opportunity to give them a chance to play. You do it. Yeah, yeah, you have to play the game with them. And listen, this is coming from Saban, who I think is the best coach of all time in college football. Um, when that when he, Saban speaks, people listen, you know, and listen, if he has an issue with the NIL, what it was intended for, I think, was great. I think the players should be able to profit off of their name, uh, just like we are able to have our brands with our names, uh, very, very minimal compared to a college football player at the University of Alabama. But but when he talks and he has an issue with it, he's right. People buy – look at Texas A&M. They're rolling in five stars every other day in their recruiting classes because they have the oil money. They have insane amounts of booster money and, and everything. Can Penn State compete with that? No, probably not. But is that going to pay off in, in the end for A&M? Probably not. I mean, I, I Jimbo Fisher, I think, is – significantly out coached out man in the south in the in the sec but again you know it's a rat race who's um who has the most money and can offer the most money and can provide these people with money rather than opportunity because i think right now it's money over opportunity and that's the shame of it all and i want to close this segment jared uh, with sean clifford starting up his own nil um type of situation uh i i believe college kids um should take every opportunity to venture out learn as much as they can uh he, he's starting his own agency called limitless nil i i have a lot of respect for anybody that's branching out and trying something a college kid to branch out two sides of this i do have respect for sean clifford i hope it works out for him um, I think the quote was, you know, it's by players for players and that kind of thing. And there's a lot of value in that. At the same time, Sean Clifford is the quarterback of the Penn State football team that went seven and six last year and four and five the year before. So that's 11 and 11. I've made no secret of the fact that to me, I think Sean Clifford is a very average college quarterback. Is it, am I saying it's impossible for a guy? to fully work on his game while operating an NIL agency? No, that's not impossible. You, you can multitask. These are college kids. They learn how to multitask. He's a 24-year-old man. I don't know what his class load will be like. I wish him the best. Um, but I think the guy has a lot of improving to do as a quarterback. And so from personal standpoint, respect standpoint, business standpoint, I fully see 
what he's trying to accomplish with his limitless NIL agency. If I were a Penn State football fan, and I'm not, I'm a reporter, I'd be saying, dude, can you just concentrate on football? Can You got, you got one year left here. You, you've been here six years. Can you concentrate on football and wait, wait a year for this? I, I don't want to go seven and six again. You see what I'm getting at, Jared? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, let's be real. I don't, I don't think his course load is, is very heavy. Probably um, not. But prep, there's a lot of preparation that goes into the end of Division One starting quarterback. Um, again, he's got the experience as far as being a starting quarterback. This is year, you know, four, right? Year four as a starter. Um, so, I mean, there's obviously, you know, this isn't his first time around the block by any means. But, yeah, I mean, if the, if the performance isn't, isn't adding up, then, yeah, you have to take a look in the mirror and say, hey, am I being distracted by the soft field stuff? What he is doing, I think, is phenomenal. What I'm, what he is doing, I think, is changing the game, and this is giving him a, a really good chance at a life, a business, as a profession. After, okay, after but did he college. come back? Did he come back to Penn State to play football, or did he come back to Penn State to start a business? Well, that's. I think that's. I think that's a legitimate question. Yeah, and that's something that we'll have to ask Clifford coming up because we know that he's going to be available. Um, and obviously, the answer is he's probably there to win games, but he's got to win, and if he's not winning. Then, then you have to ask that question. Well, then these are fair questions. Yeah. Hey, if they go out and go seven and zero, he can say to hell with you, Geiger, and That's I'll right. and, and I'll own it. And I'll eat that crow. If they lose to Purdue and lose to Auburn and they're one and mm-hmm. two, you know that that this is what sports is all about. And and again, I, I'm trying to I'm trying to this is this is a nuanced discussion. This is not an either or. I do have respect for him or any college student who is trying to better himself and to prepare himself for life. Sean mm-hmm. Clifford's not going to be an NFL quarterback. His money is going to have to come, I think, as a coach. I think he'll probably be a good coach because he is a good leader and he does know the game. I can see him being another Ricky Ronnie kind of guy. I can see mm-hmm. Sean Clifford co- coaching on the Penn State staff before too long, being a, uh, a, a, an FCS coach and being a Division I or an FBS coach within 10 years, 15 years. I could see that. But at the same time, he's Penn State's starting quarterback, okay? And, uh, again – if we're hoping he can be Kenny Pickett this year, I don't remember Kenny Pickett starting an NIL company last last offseason. No, it's it, listen, it, it's a new age of college football and college athletics, both good, bad, and different. Um, and you know, it, it's a roller coaster. It, it, there's so many opportunities for these kids now, which is great. Um, but at the same time, this is where you have to differentiate being a football player, being a businessman, and they are two totally different things. Um, and I think that's, you know, that's a situation that you have to be cognizant of as a coach because you can't control what they're doing when they're outside of your walls. You got it. Obviously, they have to go to class. That matters. But at the same time, you can't control their business adventures, um, nor should you have to. But it's something that you have to worry about now because it, it so much rides on what they're able to do as far as their name, image, and likeness. But, you know, I think that's um, – for right now, Corey, I think we'll just have to see what happens for Sean Clifford and hope for the best and hope that, that what he's able to do preparation-wise leads to wins or leads to success on the field. But at the same time, you know, if if that doesn't happen, it begs the question, Sure. how distracted is Sean Clifford? Yeah. But as of right now, Corey, we're not distracted. We're just heating up. Let's get into the third and final segment after this break on the We Are Podcast and DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcasting Network. 
Welcome back to the third and final segment of the We Are Podcast, the DK Pittsburgh <laughs> Sports Podcasting Network. Hey, you know what? When you said that, it sounded like you were going to do, welcome back. You're, are you old enough to remember Welcome Back, Cotter? Uh, yes. Yes, you, I am. When you did that, I can't wait till you go back and listen, because you started to go, welcome back. And I could have sworn it was going to be, welcome back. Maybe sometime, Corey. <laughs> Maybe sometime we'll get into some music, but Corey... There's a guy that almost bought up house in Bullsburg that's <laughs> been thrown around. His name's thrown around about some things, and he was a former coach of the Jacksonville Jaguars. And we all remember Tebow Tuesdays when Tebow would come into the locker room allegedly and and work out, and the team really wouldn't be in be around after he got cut. Former Mets farmhand, Urban Meyer's back in the news, Corey. And why is he back in the news? Well, there's a report out that uh, he might be hired back by Fox to be uh, one of their football studio analysts. And um, uh, I have called him Urban Liar for a long time. I think he is a massive fraud. I think Urban Meyer is a bad guy. There was video when Urban was their coach at Florida and Jeremy Fowler, who's now with ESPN, great, uh, terrific reporter for the NFL, he wrote some story. I think he was with the Orlando Sentinel. And Ur- Urban Meyer comes over and says, you're a bad guy, Jeremy. You're a bad guy. And, and Jeremy Fowler hand is like, thanks, Urban. Thanks, Urban. Urban, My- Urban, Urban Liar is a bad guy. He is a shady, um, unscrupulous guy. I'm trying to watch my words here uh, and try to keep this somewhat of a family podcast. I don't like <laughs> Urban Liar. I think Urban Liar is bad for football. But you know what? By the way, thanks for the, the plug on the Bullsburg thing. Jared, I've written like 15,000 stories in my career. I wrote one last year for DK Pittsburgh Sports on him almost buying that house in Bullsburg. It's one of the great stories I've ever written. It finally put to rest a 10-year question that I had folks go back and read it you hopefully you'll get a kick out of the story it was pretty hilarious but in sports man if you can perform an ability and you're in that 0.01 percent mm-hmm. you're gonna get a second chance and a third chance and a fourth chance how many chances are too many Corey because this dude has ruined those chances everywhere he's gone it doesn't even matter that you're kind of a despicable dirt bag. And they don't hire him. I don't want to hear what, I don't believe anything urban liar says anything. So I just wanted to throw that out, Jared. I just, I just have a big problem with the guy. Yeah. I mean, listen again, I, I don't disagree that he is a fraud. I think he is. I mean, again, you know, you can say what you want about his tenure with the Jaguars. I think he was in over his head. Obviously, there are issues. There were issues internally uh, with all the coaching staff and the players and, and really decision-making. Because when you're, when you're coaching in the NFL, it's a lot different than coaching college or high school. And at college, you're able to manipulate guys because this is, they want that to be their livelihood. They're five-star, four-star guys. And he's had success. Don't get me wrong. For whatever reason, when between the lines, man, he's good. He gets, he can recruit whatever off the field. I just don't think he's a great guy. And Hey, there are good guys in coaching. There are bad guys in coaching. That's normal. But this dude has ruined those chances everywhere. He's got 
and yet, you know, Fox, I think, has a pretty good pregame show. I think they have a good a good studio group. I just don't think that they need to to have a guy with the lack of character that Urban Meyer has. And, you know, by all means, they can come hire me. But, you know, I, I obviously don't have a house in Bullsburg. Um, neither does he anymore. But, you know, we, we joke about that. But that was, you know, at one point in time, that was a possibility. And imagine if that would have happened in yeah. Happy Valley. Like, think about that, you know, for a, for a minute. And that's, you know, that's wild, man. That's, and that's the way. And luckily, I, I think they escaped, you know, <laughs> um, a big one there. But this makes Jim Trestle's, you know, selling rings and jerseys and for tattoos look like just stealing a piece of candy from a baby. It is interesting, though. You know, I'm just listening to everything you're saying. Uh, Penn State hired Bill O'Brien, hired James Franklin. Um, how about we let the listeners – we've had a long podcast here because of the first segment, but I want to close with the listeners thinking about this. Because I don't, I don't know what the answer is here, but what if, what if Penn State had hired Urban Meyer? You, would they have won a national championship by now, Jared? I think it's possible. Yeah. I mean, look, it went as well as possible with Bill O'Brien. He was the national coach of the year. But nobody felt like Bill was going to stay. He almost left after year one, and then he did leave after year two. They hired James Franklin. He gets off to a rough start. But the 2016 miracle season brought Penn State football back. If they hire Urban Meyer in 2012, Urban Meyer doesn't leave after two years. Mm -hmm. Urban Meyer's name recognition and look, folks, I'm not sucking up to this friggin' guy. I got no respect for him as a human being. I'm just saying, if Penn State would have hired him, he, he probably wouldn't have gone any. Well, again, he might have left for Ohio State anyway, but let's just play along with my little hypothetical here. If Penn State hires Urban Meyer in 2012 and he doesn't leave after two years, and then there is no, you know, might, might Penn State have won a national? Might Penn State have been in a playoff at least uh, during Urban Meyer's 10 year, 10 year period? And I, I would say, very likely, very likely Penn State yeah. would have been a playoff. Yeah, I think anything's possible. And I think that's definitely a possibility. Um, but luckily, that's hypothetical. Um, they have a guy who I'd like to think has high character in James Franklin. Obviously, Urban, uh, if Urban is hired by a university at this point, um, that university's got to take a good, yeah. long, hard look in the, in the mirror. It's just like Fox should. There are plenty of guys that are just as good, if not better, at what he does as Urban Meyer in the studio. But I just again, want to close, Jared, by saying I hope, I hope people enjoyed this podcast. We got a lot more serious in that first segment than we typically do, but that was an important subject. Go read the story. It was very well done on, on, on the Todd Hodney stuff, but I, I hope that the listeners know. I didn't write anything about it this week on the site, and I, I, I wanted to kind of, but I just felt like this was a better forum to express all of our thoughts. So I hope people feel like that we did that. Right, and I hope so too. Uh, but for Corey Geiger, this is Jared Prugar, and we thank you as always for listening to the We Are Podcast and the DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcast Network. We'll talk to you again next week after the 